0: Let us pray. Most gracious and loving God, we give thanks that you have given us your word. And you promise that by the power of your spirit, you speak living words, shaping words, convicting, encouraging words, words that shape us into your likeness. We pray you would open our hearts that we would receive just such words this day. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Each week in this season of Lent leading up to Easter, we have looked at a different theme, a different spiritual practice that emerges from Scripture. Our first week we looked at joy and celebration, and some of you even read uh, an article that accompanied that and tried a spiritual practice that accompanied that. We looked at the, the practice of study. Last week we looked at the practice of of hospitality and considered again a a scripture around that. And, And this week we consider the theme of fasting. And while we will not dive into all the ins and outs of that particular practice, you will see how it has resonance behind our scriptures for this morning. First from the Old Testament, Deuteronomy chapter 8 verses 2 through 3. Remember the long way that the Lord your God has led you these 40 years in the wilderness in order to humble you, testing you to know what was in your heart, whether or not you would keep his commandments. He humbled you by letting you hunger, then by feeding you with manna, with which neither your ancestors were acquainted, in order to make you understand that one does not live by bread alone, but by every word that comes from the mouth of the Lord." The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. And then we move down to unto the New Testament and over to Matthew chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Jesus is in the wilderness and he is tempted three times. We are looking at the first of these three temptations. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and 40 nights, He was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. As we arrive here at Matthew 4, Jesus' ministry is not yet public. He's not yet in front of anybody teaching, preaching, healing, serving. He's not in the midst of the, the chatter, the fray of the gossip, gossip, the conversations. He is off the grid. He, he's in the wilderness. None of that has come yet. And after 40 days and 40 nights of fasting, we hear Matthew make the simplest of observations surely an understatement. Jesus is hungry. We ourselves know what it is to be stretched a little too long between meals and snacks and and we become upset, we become irritable, we become impatient. Few, if any of us, know what it is to be stretched for days without food. Day upon day facing elements without relief. Jesus is hungry and undoubtedly weak. Perfect timing for the devil. Diablos in Greek. Literally the word means to to divide. For the devil seeks to divide us from God. A quick side note. I think our contemporary educated minds often have a little trouble with knowing what to do with scenes like this one and elsewhere in scripture. Are, Are we supposed to believe in a little red being with horns and a tail who shows up from time to time and confronts us in our weakness. But if we look at the actual description of the devil here and and really elsewhere in scripture, what we get, what is described is a voice, a powerful voice who speaks words or gives thoughts that tempt. And who among us has not known words or thoughts that come across our mind and tempt us, try to pull us, divide us from the way of God? Actually, if we looked at the rest of the Gospel of Matthew, uh, most every other occurrence of the word tempt or test, it's the same Greek word, is used in conjunction with religious and civic and legal leaders in what they try to do to Jesus. They try and tempt, test Jesus. In other words, the voice of temptation who seeks to divide us from God comes to us by way of thoughts and words and also in and through other human beings. And in Matthew 4, the voice of the devil speaks If, if you're the Son of God, make these stones bread. If you have the power of God Almighty, then use the power to feed yourself. If, If you have resources to end this suffering, then use it and get out. And and what harm really would be done in the middle of the wilderness if Jesus were to turn stones to bread and eat them? Who would know? This doesn't honestly seem to qualify much as a temptation. It almost comes off sounding like a good idea. Hey, just a reminder, I know you're really in a weakened state. You may have forgotten. You're God Almighty. You can get out of this. And behind this temptation is this basic logic. Why in the world would someone choose to remain weak when they have in themselves the power to be strong? Why suffer when when you can make it go away? In fact, I think it is so reasonable that if we were not told this was the devil speaking, would we think it's so bad In fact, it is such a powerfully deceptive temptation that it shows up before Jesus two more times in Matthew's gospel. It's as if Matthew wants to underscore just how regular this particular temptation must be dealt with. Perhaps in part because it is so unrecognizable and seemingly so innocuous and yet so devastating to the whole thing if heated. The same temptation it unfolds a second time in the gospel of Matthew right in the middle uh, at a fairly well-known scene. I bet a lot of you remember this. Do you remember there's this point where Jesus starts telling the disciples that he is going to need to go to Jerusalem to suffer and ultimately be be killed. He starts predicting his own path of suffering and death. And Peter, you remember Peter, ...who's been following Jesus day by day for almost three years... ...surely is starting to understand this Jesus guy. Peter says, never, Lord. This shall not happen to you. Because why in the world would you go and suffer... ...when you can avoid it? You are Messiah, God Almighty. Why would you go toward inevitable suffering... ...when you can choose to live longer... ...and teach more people and overcome more evil demons? Forbid it, Lord. Lord. That you should suffer when you have power to get out of this. And do you remember what Jesus says to Peter? Actually, do you remember what Jesus calls Peter? I heard it. Satan. Get behind me, Satan. Are Jesus' next words. You do not have the mind in mind the concerns of God, but merely human concerns. Jesus calls Peter Satan because he recognizes the same voice of temptation inviting Jesus to choose the same kind of self-preservation, to use Son of God power to save yourself. Son of God power to avoid Suffering. How often the voice of temptation does not seek to divide us from the way of God with bad stuff, but far more deceptively by simply tempting towards unreasonable, perfectly understandable paths. Ah, but this one runs entirely opposite of the cross. And perhaps Jesus is able to rebuff Peter so readily and call out the lie for what it is, Satan, I recognize you again. Perhaps he's able to do this because you know what? Jesus already learned behind the scenes in the wilderness quietly when no one was looking how to recognize this temptation and choose a different way. How often Jesus first teaches us to choose the way of the kingdom in the small hidden seasons and times of life. Before the bigger moment. This, by the way, is where the spiritual practice of fasting can be so good. I'm not going to get into all the ins and outs of when and how and why, and, but whether one fasts from food for a day or a season, or one fasts from a certain activity for a day or a week or a few weeks. When one fasts, what we're doing is emptying ourselves of something, maybe even something perfectly good, so as to open ourselves more fully and attentively to God and God's leading and God's word. It is an empty, emptying so as to be open to hear and learn the voice of Jesus more fully. And so no, it's, it's not simply just giving something up. Isn't that what some people do around Lent? No, it's, it's opening to be full and learning the voice of Jesus in this new open space because you're not doing that. You now have opening space for this. It's a space in which we can start to learn to discern the voice of Jesus versus another voice who is also often there telling us something that is so reasonable but in fact may be an invitation to deny the very way of Jesus. Well, Jesus has been fasting in the wilderness. And Jesus reveals he has been fasting and and therefore very much opening himself to God and God's word. Because did you see how Jesus replies? What is the thing from which he's able to speak? Scripture. He quotes from Deuteronomy. Deuteronomy. It is written, man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that proceeds from the mouth of God. And with that, Jesus chooses not to end his own hunger but to continue in it and therefore enters even further into the depth of human hunger, the depth of human hurt and longing and vulnerability. He's choosing to continue and experience the depth of our reality and not use his power To step away from our weakness. Because entering into is what love does. Love always enters into and with. The book of Hebrews puts it this way. For we do not have a high priest in Jesus who's unable to empathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are. He Gets us. True love is profoundly illogical. But it's no surprise, right, that Jesus chooses to move toward further hunger and away from an escape that his power affords because he's been feeding on the Word of God. Jesus has been feeding on the likes of Isaiah 43, which I think so beautifully summarizes the heart of God and the way God works. When you pass through the waters, I will be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. When you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. The flames will not set you ablaze, for I am the Lord your God. I love that. Not if you pass through the waters, not if rivers come your way, not if some fires get near you, when inevitably this life unfolds and waters sweep below you and around you and fires consume you, when inevitably obedience to Jesus leads you into rivers and fires that threaten, I am with you, not above you in the water, not safely on the side of the bank, in the fire, not untouched in a nearby room, in the mess, the fray. Who among us this day knows the sweeping waters of change or unjust momentum or trial or illness? Do you know that Jesus is with you? He has not chosen bread for himself. He chooses to enter fully in. And the water will not consume. Who among us this very day knows raging fires of destruction or anger or gossip or violence around us? Under us, over us, within us. Do we know that Jesus is with you? He has not chosen bread for himself, but he enters into the pain and he will not let us be set ablaze. And I wonder who among us this day knows that the waters of death itself are rising, and perhaps faster than we had thought. Maybe sooner. The many around here even realize. What if it is the rising waters of death itself that confront? Well, Right near the end of Matthew, this same wilderness temptation appears to Jesus. Again, on the cusp of death. First, it was in the wilderness. Then, that voice of temptation came through Peter. And now, as people are passing Jesus on the cross, they yell, If you are the Son of God, come down from the cross. If you have all power and might at your fingertips, do something. And how striking that the temptation that began in Jesus' ministry quietly behind the scenes is now the very same one that confronts him at the end of his life when he is very much in the eye of the public. How often that voice that first calls to us quietly behind the scenes in these small ways that no one will ever know about, it eventually rages before us as we take on more responsibilities and stand more publicly in view with far greater responsibility the temptation never ceases how important it is to learn the voice and thwart it early. If you are the son of God, if you have the power to do something, to take care of your hurt, your hunger, your pain, do it, get down off the cross, it's, it's so obviously logical, just like the wilderness. And just like the wilderness, Jesus operates on the logic of love. He chooses to remain on the cross that he might identify fully, not only with our human pain and our human suffering, but identify all the way down to the inevitability of death itself. And so what if this day it is death that stands before us? Do you know that Jesus chooses to be with you? He has not chosen to get down off the cross, but to remain with you. And he will not let you be swallowed even by death. For three days later in his rising, he assures life and life eternal to all who are held by him. You see, ours is a God who chooses not bread, but the hunger of stones. Not escape, but cross. Not power, but love. And the kind of love that enters into the very depths. And if we have known this profoundly beautiful truth amid the raging waters and raging fires, then we know that as the people of Jesus on earth, we proclaim most truly the good news when we ourselves choose not bread, feed ourselves, not escape into safety, not power, but when we enter into the fray with love. Many of you likely know the name Dietrich Bonhoeffer, a German theologian of the early 20th century who actively resisted the Nazi regime and was ultimately hung in a concentration camp about a month before the war ended in 1945. But in 1939, Bonhoeffer had had been a growing critic of Nazism, had been running an underground seminary in Germany. But he had enough prestige in academia, enough connections, enough freedom, enough resources. He was able to secure a visiting professor position at Union Theological Seminary in New York City, away from the rapidly growing dangers of Germany. He arrives to the United States in June of 1939, New York City. The Empire State Building has only recently been completed. The World's Fair is taking place in Queens, New York. Lou Gehrig is playing his final season for the New York Yankees. The Wizard of Oz is premiering that summer with Judy Garland. And he has his own room, his own office. I have to think, with war imminently on the horizon, I would be heartened to take that invitation. I would take this invitation. A war on one's homeland, that is an impossible stone. I don't really know much about that. And goodness, if you have the power, the connection, the means to make bread for yourself out of that stone, do it. Don't think twice. It's not a hard decision. And maybe, maybe, in some seasons, some spaces, some ways, it is a faithful decision. But that's also why the temptation to turn stones to bread is so powerful. It never looks like sin. It always looks so logical. It always looks safe. It always looks smart. It always looks secure. And for this reason and that reason alone, it may very well be the most debilitating sin in the church of North America. For in calling us to wise self-preservation time and again in all the small and all the big decisions, we obscure the way of the cross, if not finally betray the way of the cross. And all the while, people commend us because they say, that is perfectly understandable. And yet, much as he appreciated the opportunity in New York City, Bonhoeffer, he spent that summer in intense prayer and reading of Scripture. He was opening himself, listening for the voice of Jesus through fellow Christians and and, and through these times of prayer and reading. And amidst this opening... His summer journals start to portray this nagging, growing longing for Germany. About to go to war, unknown ramifications, Germany. His journal entries, they, they read like this. My thoughts cannot get away from Germany. I cannot make out why I am here in New York City. Whether the end will justify it. I am not quite clear about my motives in being here. Am I making bread out of stones? Eventually, amidst all this wrestling for the voice of Jesus, he writes a letter to Reinhold Niebuhr, who was at Union Theological Seminary. and He says, I know which of these alternatives I must choose. I cannot make the choice for security. I have come to the conclusion that I have made a mistake. And coming to America. You heard the growing angst that is with himself. As he has this bread before him. This safety. These powers to secure so much for him. And maybe in certain ways, seasons, that's a right choice. But, but, he, but he senses something is, is fundamentally off about this choice. And the voice that has drawn him there. And so having looked at his summer through the lens of much prayer and the lens of the cross, Bonhoeffer returns to Germany. He enters into this full upheaval, uncertainty, unknown, fray, chaos that is 1939 Germany. When he's arrested in 1942, he enters into the suffering and hunger that is the suffering and hunger of millions beside him. And when he is hung in 1945, he enters into the same death that marks so many millions. It is not for all, or probably even most or maybe any of us to be called as martyrs, who knows, But it is also inescapably true that as the people of this Jesus who saves people from the fray by entering into the fray, into the mess, into the pain, into the unknown, we who are the body of Jesus Christ on earth are unavoidably somehow called in the same direction. Not above watching down, but in the water. Not safely off to the side, but in the fire. Not untouched in a nearby room, but in the mess, the unknown. And of course, we cannot ourselves, individuals in a church, enter every single space and place and person and thing, but what do our journal entries have? When we fast and we open space for Jesus to speak, what is the place or the people or the person that pulls us? Even though we know the risks, the dangers, the unknowns, The lack of answers. The reasons it could all fail. That's the pull of love. That's the direction of the cross which has saved us. And love trusts as it steps forward that every word that proceeds from the mouth of God will continue to sustain us. In fact, love trusts that the very word of God himself is with us and poured out upon us amid the rising waters and the raging flames. May you this day know the nourishment of our God who chooses to enter in and with. And then may you step with courage. Amen.